Welcome to sermons from First Alliance Church, equipping you to become a fully devoted and faithfully engaged disciple of Jesus. Here's today's message. Well, again, welcome back to church at home at First Alliance Church. We lit the candle twice just in case to make sure it's lit. And folks, it is lit. It is the second week of Advent. And we are continuing our sermon series entitled The Birth of Hope. Last week, we considered how the birth of Jesus is light coming into our darkness. And this time, we're considering how his birth is joy coming into our sorrow. Joy is a word we often associate with Christmas time, right? It's a very warm word. It's a friendly word. And, and let's be honest, it's a word that I think we could all use a bit more of in our own lives. But if we're honest, I think it's probably the case that joy is also elusive for many of us. It's something that we're always chasing and, and we never seem to really get a hold of it. Or if we do get a hold of it, we don't get a hold of it for very long. We're, we're all chasing joy, but it seems that so few of us ever find it. In considering the words of Isaiah, the prophet that Teresa just read for us, we are confronted with this incredible announcement of joy, particularly in verse three. Let me read it for you. It says, you've enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. I mean, in this one verse, the word joy or rejoice, and in Hebrew, it's it, the same related words, happens four times. And so this morning, we're going to consider this verse and what we understand from here about joy, not only in this Advent season, but beyond in our lives. So that's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to camp out on this topic of joy. We're going to consider what is it, what kills it, and how do we get it? What is joy, what kills joy, and how do we get it? So first, what is joy? Joy in the popular conception often boils down to a feeling. It's this feeling of pleasure or happiness. But this isn't a really helpful definition of joy because how to get joy amounts to then chasing a feeling or trying to conjure up feelings of joy or, or to try and find joy in our circumstances. So many people uh, view joy as something to be dependent on in their circumstances. If things are going well for you right now in life, then you might say, yeah, I have joy. Or if they're not going well, you don't feel that. But you know, the Bible speaks of joy, not only as a feeling, but as something more enduring in our lives. Y yes, of course, it makes its way into our feelings and emotions, but, but joy in the Bible is more like this steady underlying current in our lives, not so much based on our feelings, or on our circumstances, but, but it's based on the aim of our lives. It's based on some deeper aim that our lives ha have latched onto. So as we consider what is joy, the all-important question to ask in your life is not what do I feel, but what do I desire? The question you need to be asking yourself as it relates to joy is not what do I feel, but what do I desire? 
You see, joy is deeply connected to our desires. C.S. Lewis, he was one of the most renowned Christian thinkers of the 20th century. He wrote a book called Surprised by Joy. And in that book, he actually describes his journey, his spiritual journey from being an atheist, someone who didn't believe in the existence of God to becoming a follower of Jesus and just putting all his marbles in the Jesus basket and following him wholeheartedly. And in this book, as he describes that journey, he makes a tremendous observation about joy and what joy really is. On his journey, he discovered, and I want to quote here, he discovered that joy itself, considered simply as an event in my own mind, turned out to be of no value at all. All the value lay in that which joy was desiring. Let me just repeat that one. All the value lay in that which joy was desiring. And that object quite clearly was no state of my own mind or body at all. Joy was valuable only as a pointer to something other and outer. And then he says, all joy reminds. It's never a possession, always a desire for something longer ago or further away or still about to be. Not exactly our normal definition of joy in today's culture. But Lewis makes the key insight that joy points us beyond itself to what you and I ultimately desire. The illustrations in Isaiah chapter 3 show this. The text says that they rejoice before you as, so there's this illustration, a comparison. It's like when people rejoice at the harvest. So farmers work and till and plant because there is a desire for the harvest. Because on a deeper level, they have a desire for security and provision and flourishing, and because on an even deeper level, we might say, there's a desire for life for themselves, for their family, and for their community. So the, the desire for the harvest is what drives the joy, and they get the joy, yes, when the harvest comes in, but it's similar when the farmer first starts to see signs that the crop is growing, Right? where you see your crop starting to break the surface of the soil. And there's joy in that, not because the desire has been fulfilled, but because there's a sign that it will be fulfilled as well. The other comparison is this, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder, warriors go to war. And, and you know, in the ancient times, they didn't do it always out of the benevolence of their heart to serve king and country. Why did they go to war? More realistically, they wanted to get paid. War was quite profitable if you won in that you got the plunder of the place that you conquered. They desire the ward for their service. Our text itself points us to how joy is about desire. It's about what we want and what we treasure in life. What we treasure in life. Think of it like a magnet. A magnet is activated when it comes into contact 
with metal or when it comes close to a metal, that magnetic field kicks in and you feel the pull of that magnet trying to connect with its target, with its desire. And what a magnet does in the presence of metal is like what our souls do in the presence of what we desire. Joy is like this magnetic current of the soul and it gets activated when we come close to, when we touch, when we see, when we feel something that connects to what we deep down desire. It's a byproduct of joy of our desire being fulfilled. Joy is a byproduct of our desire being fulfilled or of seeing signs that it will be. Right? Think of a piece of music. Have you ever been moved to tears by a piece of music? I have. And what's happening in that moment is that the music somehow is connecting to something deep in us. A longing for truth, a longing for beauty, a longing for the good, a longing to know that everything in spite of all the suffering we see is going to be okay. And the joy you feel in listening to that music isn't necessarily happy clappy. You can feel, you can feel sad and joyful. You can feel the sorrow and joy at the same time. Happens when we listen to music. Now, we've considered what joy is. Now we need to consider what prevents us from experiencing it. What kills joy? If joy is about our desires something we really quickly need to recognize and just name is the fact that our desires aren't all good. It's the fact that our desires often point us in the wrong direction or we desire the wrong thing. We desire things that are actually gonna kill life and not lead to flourishing. And if we're honest with ourselves, when we maybe take inventory on what you have gone after in your life. You might come to the conclusion, and many people have come to the conclusion in their experience, that what they were seeking did not bring the joy they thought it would. And we know what that disappointment feels like when we thought something would bring us joy. If only I got this or that, if only I have power and influence, we feel the disappointment of what it's like to get there and then what? There's still that hole. There's still that longing for joy that what we were seeking didn't fill. And so what kills joy? Here it is. Sin has come into the world and it has messed with every single part of us. Our minds, our bodies, our emotions, and our desires. And so what we're left with is disordered desires. We move around in the world with the disorder of sin, which has disordered our desires. We don't always want what's good for us or for the world. We're conflicted, right? We know what's good, but we have these selfish desires to dominate others or to use others for our own pleasure or profit. And you see, when the fundamental aim of your life is aimed at the wrong thing, it doesn't matter how earnest you are in the desire if the object of your desire won't lead to life and doesn't lead to joy. If it's the wrong thing. Look at the case of Herod in the Magi from the reading that Teresa brought to us. 
The, the, the disordered desire of the human heart is so clearly pictured in King Herod. What happens is the Magi come. They're these wise men from the East, foreigners. And so they come to Jerusalem, right? The hub of Israel's religion. And they, they're seeking answers because they've been following a star. And they're saying, they come on the scene and they say, we're looking for the king of the Jews. They were drawn by that magnetism of the soul towards the author of life, the God child, even though they didn't fully know what they were after. And the response of the Magi is one of joy. Look at Matthew 2, verse 10. It says after uh, they had been with Herod and asked their questions and found out that it was in Bethlehem, it says this, they went their way and the star which they had seen in the east went on before them until it came and stood over the place where the child was. Get this, verse 10, when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. I mean, Matthew almost redundantly uses the word joy like twice and magnifies it with uh, ver adverbs that, that modify it to be rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. I mean, this is huge. They experienced great joy because their desire was set in the right place. And even seeing the sign of their desire fulfilled was enough to just well in them this exceedingly great joy. They knew that what they were seeking would be met and satisfied in their encounter with the child in the stable. But what about Herod? Notice there's a contrast here. You've got the Magi who are joyful. Does Herod respond with joy? He got the same news. There's, there's a new king about to be born. It's God's king. It's all over the Old Testament. His own Bible scholars were explaining it to him. What was his reaction? In verse three, it says he was troubled. So what brought joy to the Magi brought trouble to Herod. And what happens in, in the disordered desires that he has, he sets himself against God and he ends up committing horrific violence. He tries to destroy Jesus and it just leads him down this path of madness, fear, narcissism, and destruction. Why? Because he didn't desire what God desired. His desires were disordered. The Magi experienced joy and Herod didn't because the Magi desired God's king. See, what kills joy in our lives is the fact that our desires are, are out of whack. They're disordered and, and we want the wrong things. As C.S. Lewis said elsewhere, we're half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. So how do we get it? How do we get joy in, in this storm of our disordered desires? If joy is about what we desire, then the key to getting joy is about desiring the right thing. And what Isaiah claims in our text is that the right thing to desire turns out to be a person. In our text, Isaiah is not merely announcing the birth of a child. He's making a claim about the child and his identity. He's saying 
that this child is the one we've been waiting for. That of all the things we can desire in the world, this child is the right and true and good object of our desire who alone is going to bring deep joy that isn't dependent on our circumstances, but flows from this rock-solid inward trust in the Lord of the universe. You see, in our text, the reason for the joy in verse 3 is given in verse 6. Look there with me. In verse 6, it says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. If we want joy in our lives, then joy isn't really what we should be after. We should be after, we should desire this child, we should desire Jesus. Because all of our experiences of joy in life are actually really signposts pointing us to Christ, to his goodness, to his beauty, to his holiness, holiness, truth, mercy, and justice. In the book of Colossians, the apostle Paul says that all things were made through him and for him, that the one born in this stable is no mere child, that this is the son of God himself who took on flesh. And he's actually the goal of the entire universe. It's mind-blowing. Someone once said that it's crazy to think about how something bigger than the universe was once contained in a manger, but that's what happened. The Lord of the cosmos in a manger. And what Isaiah is saying here, just as people rejoice at the harvest, just as warriors rejoice with the plunder, they found their treasure. Isaiah is saying, here's the treasure we've all been looking for. He is God's answer to our deepest longings. And let me just say, if you find yourself this morning with all kinds of disordered desires and you're wondering, you know, I don't desire this one. I don't desire Jesus. At least not like this guy is sounding, making it sound like I should. Let me just say this. It's only the spirit of God who can show Christ to us in this way. It's only the spirit of God who can show you the preciousness of Christ and the ultimate treasure that he is. But what you can do is open yourself to God's spirit and say, spirit, come, change my desire. Spirit, come, sort out the disorder in me that I might desire this one. How do we get joy? It's all about setting our desire on Christ. Setting our desire on Christ. Now, this Advent season is a time of waiting, a time of longing. And we have the opportunity to ask this question, and I want you to think about this one. What do I desire? What do I desire? What do I long for? Do I long for this child? Do I long for Christ? Or is there something else I'm longing for in my life? Now, there's something I think that a lot of us are desiring in a time 
where we've experienced such a deep disruption in the last nine months. Some of us long for things to go back to a pre-pandemic normal. We desire a vaccine. We desire to return back to the way things were. And listen, I hear you and I understand that. But I actually want to encourage you to put that desire aside and to set your desire on Christ. Let's not get distracted by setting our hope on a return to normal circumstances, whatever that even means. And let's, let's face it, normal, what was normal that great, really? I mean, in the midst of all this, as we're talking about joy, about our desires, we actually need to ask the question, well, what does God desire? What does God desire? And biblically, we know that what God desires is not normal. God's desire for our lives is not normal. Jesus did not come to give us normal life. He came to give us abundant life. And if we get caught desiring normal in this Advent season, we'll miss Jesus. We won't see him standing right in front of us right now, inviting us into abundance and in his presence right now. I mean, that's how we experience joy in our sorrow. It's the presence of Christ with us. It's Emmanuel who is with us and will not leave us or forsake us even when we experience tragedy, even when we experience heartbreak, even when we experience loss and pain, he is there. He is the joy in our sorrow. So what do you desire? I love the refrain in that song that Harold introduced us to today. Gloria, hallelujah, glory, praise. Christ the Lord We've longed for you. Let's pray. Come Holy Spirit. I ask that you would reveal Jesus Christ to us. We want to set our desire on him and on him alone. Help us in our weakness. Help us in our apathy. Help us in our half-heartedness to wholeheartedly desire Jesus. Help us to see Jesus as the one we've been waiting for, the treasure and may you enable us to live more and more in the steady current of his joy. I pray this in his mighty name. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's message. For more on us as a church and ways to connect, please visit us online at firstalliancechurch.org.